This morning, I'm really excited to invite Irene to come and be our preacher this morning. She opens the word. Irene, how are you feeling? Feeling good, Pastor. Good. All right. Let's pray for Irene. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for her. We pray that you would bless her, encourage her, carry her this morning. May you anoint her with your spirit that that which you have planted in her life may be shared with us. As she opens the word, may you instruct her tongue to be able to share with us. But we also open our hearts and minds to you, that you yourself would speak to us by your spirit, that we might see life generated inside of us. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Origin. How are we today? Yeah, I saw some of you yesterday night, so we've, ha- we've not had the eight hours of sleep. That's okay. We're going to hang in there. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Irene, and I'll be preaching to you today. And so far, we've been in a series on the Lord's Prayer, right? Um, I don't know if it's the same for you, but I've been very excited about the Lord's Prayer, right? I think there is something about prayer that is the heartbeat of what it means to be a Christian. Really, because like when you think about it, the church we're in right now, what separates this church from any other community you're a part of? Like what separates this from your classrooms or your office or volunteering or charities or other communities? Other communities have beauty. Other communities have truth. Other communities love each other. But I think what separates the church is two things that we have the living God in us and among us, and two, that when we pray, we talk to God, and something happens in that. We change, and the world around us changes. So there's something about the Lord's Prayer that's inviting us into prayer, right? And even Jesus. Jesus highlights the importance of prayer. When Jesus describes his house, how does he describe it? You know, when, like, the merchants are on the temple and they're defiling it, what does he call the house? He does, yeah, yeah, we got it, yes. He doesn't say my house is a house of great sermons or my house is a house of great worship, although both are important to the church. He defines his house as a house of prayer. And I think this becomes even more poignant when we go into the New Testament and we know we as believers have the spirit of God, which means we are houses of God. So both as individuals and as a community, we're called to prayer, right? And so the Lord's Prayer, I think, is an invitation for us as origin to deepen our prayer lives as individuals, as a community, and I'm excited to do that. Okay, so we're going into the fourth line of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Okay, so if you've been paying attention for the past three weeks, this is kind of a shift, you guys. We were in the heavens with our Father in heaven, We were hallowing and setting apart his name, and hallowed be your name, right? We were recognizing his kingdom and your kingdom come, and we're aligning ourselves with his will, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then suddenly, bread, (laughs) bread, (laughs) bread in our homes, maybe bread in your belly. Some of you have bread right now. I saw you with bread bags, okay? Right, right there. (laughs) So there's something about bread. It's like heavens to bread. What is the connection? Even though it seems like a shift, I think what it's showing is our God is an intensely practical God, okay? We have bodies. He recognizes, hey, you can't do lines one to three of the Lord's Prayer if you don't eat. 
you, you need to eat. Give us this day our daily bread. So when Jesus models asking God for daily bread, I think he's telling us, hey, God cares about your needs. He sees them and he wants to provide for them. The physical, the tangible nature of bread forces us to recognize this is a God who parts Red Seas but also cares about your next meal. That's important. That's important we understand that. What is daily bread, though? Is it just your meal? <laughs> we're, going, we're going to resurrect the Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, and he's gonna, he, this is his quote about what daily bread is. Okay, food, drink, clothes, shoes, house, home, land, animals, money and goods, a godly husband or wife, devout children, good workers, honest, faithful leaders, good government, good weather, peace, health, law and order, an honorable name, faithful friends, trustworthy neighbors. That's a long list. But what is it showing? That there's a lot that goes into your day. That God is interested in fulfilling all of that. We have a God who cares, right? And there's this like, there's this like weird spiritual egoism that tries to separate the spiritual from the physical. That makes like, hey God, help me be more patient, a more important prayer than God, give me daily bread. And that, I want to, I want to spell this morning, is a false binary. We are Christians. We're both body and spirit, okay? So Christianity doesn't say, hey, the body is lower than the spirit, don't look at the body. Our savior came in the form of a human. He had a body. In heaven, we're not angels, we're not ghosts on a like, cloud playing harps. We have a body, we will have a body. So the body is important. So God cares our bodies and the fact that those bodies have needs. Now, if you notice, God does, Jesus doesn't say needs, he doesn't say grain, he doesn't say caviar, he says bread. And that's intentional, okay? So <laughs> you have to remember, Jesus is God. And Jesus is always pointing to God. And so what he's doing, he's pulling on an image of God from the Old Testament. We're going to turn to Exodus 16. And like a little precursor for this, pa uh, for this passage, um, at this point, Israel had come out of Egyptian slavery, okay? They, were, they had Pharaoh and his chariots chasing them. They go into the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. The men, the women, the children are going. The Pharaoh and everyone is drowning behind them, right? It's this like dramatic show of God's glory. But the Israelites are human. And so what happened? They get hungry. They get hangry in the desert, hungry and angry. And we see God showing up. Exodus 16, can you read with me? Um, they set out... From Elam, all the congregation at the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For where are we that you grumble against us? Skip down to verse 13. 
In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread of the Lord, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Okay. So the Israelites are hungry, they're in the desert, and then God is literally raining down bread from heaven. Can you imagine, like you wake up, you go out of your tent, and there's just quail and bread everywhere. Um, God supernaturally provided, right? So when Jesus is saying, hey, give us this day our daily bread, he's saying God has said the same through the ages. He's the God who provided bread yesterday, he'll do it today, and he'll do it tomorrow. And this aspect of God's provision becomes all the more important when we get that bill at the end of the month, or groceries are too expensive, which is always a reality in Vancouver, or <laughs> something funny happens with the job, right? There's a tension there where we're invited into worry. And Jesus is making the opposite invitation. He's saying, can you trust in God's daily bread? Because the reality is God always shows up. Over and over and over, he provides. Like the Israelites were quite literally in a desert, no bakers nearby, bread. Elijah, the prophet, he had no food, ravens fed him. Jesus with the 5,000, out of two lo two, five loaves and two fish, all of them fed, right? So we have a God who cares about our daily needs. He cares about you having a good night of sleep. He cares about your student loans. He cares about your dinner. He cares about your daily needs. And do you see God as providing your daily needs? Like, do you have that picture of God from heaven literally, literally giving your needs? Because what praying that line invites you into is recognizing that he's already doing that. Like, I know, I know it looks like you stumbled on to your friends and your job and your clothes and your roof, but really, all good things come from above, from the Father of lights. So everything good in your life, because He's the origin of good, is from him. So like praying this prayer is in an invitation to gratitude, and then also an invitation till the day we die, like breath out of our nose, praying that every day, like relying on him, relying on him for provision. I'm gonna take a drink of water. <laughs> so we know we have a God who cares. So why don't we go to him? Like what are the barriers? I think there are a lot of barriers but I think for us, especially in this context, one of the barriers is a really well-learned habit of self-reliance. There are many people in this congregation who are very competent. They're intelligent. You have multiple degrees at the end of your name, okay? <laughs> Every other room you show up, you're reliable, you're smart, and that's amazing. I am happy for that. But the Lord is not impressed by you impressing, right? Like, <laughs> there's, there's something about self-reliance that ultimately takes away from God's provision because this is what we've been doing from Eden onwards, right? From like the very beginning, we've been trying to find our bread in other places. It doesn't work out. We run away, we go into the bushes and then God comes chasing after us and we hold on to our fig leaves of shame and self-sufficiency. So praying this prayer is now an invitation for us to like leave that pattern that we have to repent we have to turn away from being self-reliant. Because what is at the heart of self-reliance? It's pride. It's saying self above God. It's telling God, like, hey, 
I know you're the God who sits on the throne. I know you know the end from the beginning, but I feel like I run my life pretty well. Like, I think I can handle this. And we don't say this with our words, but we act it out. We act it out with prayerlessness. We act it out when we rush out of the door. We act it out when we don't ask for daily bread. And the reality is, God is inviting us to a life with the Spirit, with a life sustained by God. Because to be in this kingdom, to be in the kingdom of God, it's not just like we add Christian onto a bunch of other identities, right? It's like it's a different mindset. He calls us to be needy. We are creatures. We have a creator. And he's not apathetic. He's a father. In Matthew 18.3, he says this thing about neediness. Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't make sense in our culture. Nobody tells you become more like a child, okay? That is very countercultural. Everything you do is trying to grow up. And Jesus is saying, like, no, the posture you come to me is as a child. What do children do? Some of you are not parents. Some of you are. <laughs> Look around. <laughs> Origin children are everywhere. Not here right now. They're in Sunday school. But um, what children are do, what they do is they're bold. They ask. They need. They depend. They, act, they like, trust their parents to provide. And so what neediness, ultimately, neediness in God is trust. Neediness shows faith in the faithfulness of God. So when we come to God, we have to forget our PhD. We have to forget our masters. We come to him as children because that's the only posture we receive, right? Like, we can't front that. Some of us have other barriers. So we can trust God for the well-being of the world. <laughs> we can trust God to help other people. But we, we, tr we don't trust as much God's love for us, right? Like maybe the perfect Christians have earned it. The ones with 52-day church attendances and 8.93 out of nine fruits of the Spirit, and they have Christ-likeness radiating from their pores, you know? Those people, those good Christians, have earned God's generosity. And <laughs> the problem is we have distorted views of God, right? Like that's a distorted view of God because how does God reveal himself to us? He's a father. You are not asking Vladimir Putin for daily bread. It's God, right? You're talking to your father. And like when, when, God, when the scriptures describe God's love, it's not just love, right? And that's a, that word is overused in our culture. The scripture says hesed. That's a very complicated word. I mean, there's no like actual English equivalent for it, but it's five components. Kindness, mercy, loyalty, faithfulness, and love. So it's a kind of covenantal love, action-oriented. It's a love that's coming towards you, okay? So God's love, it's not passive. He's coming towards you. He's coming for you. He's coming to provide. And the problem is we have gotten too used to broken patterns of human love. Some of you are only know conditional love. Some of you only know a stingy love. Some of you only know unfaithful love. And we impose that pattern upon God. The reality is God is not like your father. He's not like your mother. He's not like your sister. He's not like your cousins. He's not like your boss. He is transcendent. And there's this thing we have to do with our minds. Like we have to take it to the scripture. We have to let him reveal himself to us. Right? Because when we go to the scriptures, we see a God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And if you look at that God, how, how can you not see a God who is so abundantly generous? The cross assures us 
of God's generosity, right? When we, like, understand his character, coming to him and praying for daily bread becomes easy because you know he loves you. The reality is, even if you get into the habit of praying for daily bread, there's this tension in this relationship with God because sometimes he will not give you what you want. (laughs) And we enter into places of disappointment as God makes us square with our needs and our wants. I had one of these moments with God. (laughs) Summer of 2022. I'm a graduate student. I need a summer TA ship. And everyone in my cohort got one. But me, (laughs) I did not have one. And you see, I, I could feel God on it. Like I could feel something about God was moving in that situation. And so I go to him and I was like, you know, God, daily bread, I need job, like I need, I need money. And he's like, we're going to work on financial stewardship and your materialism issues this summer. And so what that meant, because, <laughs> you know, what I saw as my needs were my pretty jewelry and my books and my cafe dates and my, like, uh, things that smell nice and my art, especially when I'm sad, mad, or feeling bad. And God wasn't as not a fan of my consumerism. And I didn't want to work on it. He did, though. And so we wrestled with it. He always wins, but he lets me process. And that summer... I had my bare necessities. I had my rent, I had my groceries, but nothing else. And I watched my bank account. I watched it go from four digits to three digits to two digits to one digit. And in that summer, it was bitter bread. (laughs) But, But what did I learn? That some of the things I had had a hold on me, and he actually was changing my heart when I couldn't go running to them. Like, I actually became less materialistic, I think, that summer. And then because I wasn't running to them, I was running to him. So my intimacy with God, my reliance on him, started increasing. Right? So in that moment, it wasn't pleasant daily bread. It wasn't sweet. But God did something. And, okay, and this is the funny thing. So after, after I seemed to have learned a lesson, God started having money pop up all over the place. And I mean, in the last two weeks of summer, I recouped all of my losses. So like, UBC Sauter gave me like thousands of dollars for a grant. Um, Mark Zuckerberg, a Facebook fame, apparently he was violating people's privacy in Illinois. I used to live in Illinois. He sent me $400 in the mail. It's random. (laughs) I ran, okay, this this is how random it is. I ran into an organizer of synagogue events. They hired me to be their Gentile scribe and I would go. and I would have delicious meals with the Jewish community and I would literally write down their conversations because they can't work and they paid me hundreds of dollars. God is the God who pulls coins out of fish's mouths, okay? And I experienced that aspect of God that summer. Um, But yeah, the reality is (laughs) we enter into tough places when we ask God for daily bread because he's our father. He's not a cosmic vending machine, right? It's not like F4 out pops the husband, although some of us would like that. Um, It's he. (laughs) He wrestles with our desires. He wrestles with it. And what he's doing is that he's purifying us. He's refining us. Some of you, some of you might have unanswered prayers with God. And that unanswered prayer is making you doubt the goodness of God. God is not scared of your doubt or your disappointment or your anger or your confusion. And in fact, if you try to ignore it and God is good your way out of it, it's self-delusion. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't let it fester in the darkness. Take it to him. He's your father. What he'll do is he'll process you through it. And at the end, you will see his goodness. I promise you. And you can be like David and say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
That's what happens when we go to him. I want to pivot us to looking at um, the word our. This, okay, our daily bread, right? This whole prayer is stunningly communal. It doesn't start with my father. It starts with our father. It's our daily bread. And to our Western sensibilities, to our individualistic culture, this is incredibly countercultural, right? There's this way that because we're so focused on the self, we can take that into our relationship with God, where it becomes God and me, and then everyone else is over there. But the reality is, loving God always extends into loving his people. So when you start praying, God, give us our daily bread, you start praying for other people's needs. You start becoming intimately involved in the needs of others. That is what it means to take on that prayer. All right, it's not just, God, here's my laundry list of things to do, although God cares about that laundry list. It's like, get to know your neighbor well enough so you can pray for their calculus exam next Saturday. Like, that's what that invitation is into. What does your prayer life look like? Do you spend time praying for the needs of others? It's an invitation. If you start praying for daily bread, you will soon start to notice a discrepancy between God promising daily bread and in the presence of the poor, starving, and hungry among us. How do we explain that? I'm gonna be honest, in the next 10 minutes, I can't explain that full discrepancy, but what I can say is two things. The cross assures us that God is not apathetic, that he's so involved, he sacrificed his son, that his son came to save us. And the resurrection assures that the redemption of all things is unfolding, so that one day, that all tears will be wiped, that one day, all pain will cease, that one day, all will be fed at the banquet of the Lord. Right? That is what the hope is. But we are in that messy middle, where we do see brokenness of the world, but we see redemption unfolding. So we're called, I think we're called, by the Spirit to groan, to groan in prayer and to go deep for the prayers of those, for the needs of those around us. I think it also means that we become the hands and feet of Jesus, right? Christian love always moves towards the poor, the widow, and the orphan. So not just in prayer, but also in deed. 1 John 3.18 says, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So there's something about me loving God that should make me move to using my resources, my time, my energy, my efforts towards those who have less than me. And we have a great example of this in our church. Many people here are involved in the food hub, yes? Can we, can we throw a woo if you're involved? <laughs> so the food hub from Origin helps combat food insecurity. Dr. Auntie Joanne, Pastor Craig, Nathaniel, I know all of you volunteer, and what, what do they do? They provide food for those who have, are food insecure, right? And just this week alone, you guys, 264 households were served with over 900 people getting food. That is, that is God moving through origin to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Like, do you see God working in that? That's the spirit working even among starvation and hunger. So for us to pray for our daily bread, we're moving into the prayer and provision for others. I also want us to turn and look at the word daily. Okay, it's daily bread. <laughs> not weekly, not monthly, not annually. And I think God does this in his wisdom because if it was monthly bread, maybe some of us would show up for our monthly appointment, get our monthly bread, and we say, peace out, Jesus, for the rest of the month. <laughs> and the reality is, the reality God wants us to come for daily bread every single day, show up, and he's right there, right? But 
But the truth is, the truth is, the truth is, we often long for more than daily bread. That your mind is often consumed with tomorrow, not even just tomorrow, five years from now, right? And so there's this impulse of the human mind to want to go to be anxious about the future. And we see this with the Israelites we were just reading about. Exodus 16, 19 to 21. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stink. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Okay, so God is providing daily manna. And the Israelites are like, we're going to hoard this. We're going to take this and put it in our tent for tomorrow so I can know I have provision for Sunday. And then they wake up to a pillow full of maggots. And that's what happens. <laughs> that's what happens when we move out of the daily, right? God is saying, hey, you're going to trust my provision for today. And he shows up. God does it for 40 years in the wilderness. God provides daily manna till they reach Canaan. So in the same way, God, when he tells us, when Jesus tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, it's an entry into that mindset, into that practice. God is just like a radically present-day oriented God, right? He says daily bread. He says new morning mercies. Even the phrase, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's a day we're talking about. And Jesus even goes as far to say, why are you worrying about tomorrow? Each day has its own troubles, right? So if you have Sunday troubles, don't pick up Monday troubles. I haven't given you the grace for Monday troubles. Keep it on Sunday. Um, so part of Christian maturity is focusing on the daily. Like if you train your mind to focus on the pain of the past or the worries of the future, you will end up with the mind in turmoil. This is not just scriptural, it's psychological, it's science. And I feel like, I feel like the spirit of our age is just one of relentless anxiety, this constant busyness, this like this throwing our hands up in the air, right? It's like, and I feel like the perfect image to represent that is a headless chicken. Follow me. Follow me in this metaphor, this long, long metaphor that I'm going to explain to you right now. I come from a long line of Indian farmers. I know you don't know it when you look at me, but I do. <laughs> no kings in my lineage, just Indian farmers. And I actually lived on a farm for a year in my childhood. I was a farm girl, you guys. And <laughs> this is the thing about Indian farmers and Indian villagers. They're in touch with their meat. Okay, there's no pink pounds of meat you can buy at Save on Foods for $20. None of that. Things moo and squawk before they end up on your table. And one of these days, when I was on the farm, I learned how chicken curry became chicken curry. I saw the death of a chicken, is essentially what I'm trying to say. Um, what happened, what happened, I've been trying to scrub this image from my mind for years, but what happened is that they chopped the head, chicken's head off, okay, decapitated. Did you know that when you take the head of a chicken off, that the neck and body can still move? That it will run and run and run without its head and then collapse into a small dying heap. Why am I bringing up decapitated chickens? It's a great question. I, when I was preparing for this sermon, I was like, that is the image of our age. This striving, this racing, this race to nothing, busy, climbing, achieving. Like for what? Headless chickens. And Christians, Christians enter into this pattern, right? Can I tell you the solution? Eat your daily bread. Like, believe in God's provision. Like, really, believe in a God who has redeeming your past, 
who's working in your present and who's preparing your future and discipline your mind to do that. It really goes back to knowing who God is, you guys. Like, if we actually believe in a father who sits on a throne with billions of angels at his command, who loves you, and we believe in a Jesus who's sitting right next to him, who also loves you, who's praying for you, by the way, and when we believe that we're inhabited by the Spirit of God who's in us, counseling us, teaching, advising, how can we stay in a constant state of worry? Like, if we really catch that revelation, if we keep it in our mind, if we meditate on it, I think it's a... It's a real, real solution to the anxiety of our age. So that's an invitation of daily bread, right? Like the problem is not that we have problems. You're always going to have problems. Your problem is that your problems look bigger than God. This is why A.W. Tozer says, as God is exalted to the right place in our lives, a thousand problems are solved all at once. So let God become bigger in your mind than your problems. Sing it, praise it, read it until it's your reality. Eat the daily bread. I want to close us with pointing the connection between Jesus saying, this is, eat, give us this day our daily bread, and Jesus as the living bread, right? Over and over, Jesus calls himself the bread. We, we read this in John 6, 30, when he says, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is not talking about ordinary hunger or ordinary thirst. He's talking about your soul's hunger for him, right? Like if you got the mansion and the great spouse and the six-figure salary and the 2.5 kids and the golden retriever, there would be something in you that would still feel like there's this like hole, like something that needs to be filled. And that's not a mistake. The very reason for your existence, for your creation, was to love him, to know him, to have him be the lover of your soul. And the problem is we know this, but we have other voices, idols, things pop up in our heart to take the throne of our heart. And these idols, they have voices, they whisper, they tell you what life is really about. They give you stories, right? One common one, finding your true love, that salvation is in the arms of a lover. Or, hey, you know, you'll know you're worthy when you go up that career ladder and you get to the top and you're higher and faster than anyone else. Or filling your life with material possessions shows you're a person of value. Like when you can do good things and like have good things, that's when you know you made it. Or pleasing your parents or people group. Like if you can do that, you've made it. And none of those things are in of themselves are bad. They're not, but they can't be ultimate. They can't be God. They can't handle the weight of that. Because when they do get elevated, they cause death, physical, spiritual, emotional, death. So what's the solution? The gospel. The gospel comes to oppose and radically transform those stories, right? It comes to tell you, hey, this is the capital T true story, that by fellowshipping with God daily, hearing him daily, seeing his beauty daily, the beauty and glory of the gospel dwarfs everything else. And you realize, 
Jesus is life and life abundant, that he is my true love, that he is the joy I could want. He is all my riches. When Jesus calls himself the living bread, he's inviting you into life. This is why Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with them and he with me. If we become a people who eat at Jesus' table, I think we would find that a lot of our needs are taken care of, that we would grow in love for others, and that the love and peace of God would coat our souls, that we would find our souls satisfied by him. And I want to end as we move into communion and we eat of the bread, reminding ourselves of Jesus, the bread of life, that we open ourselves in receiving him to be the provider of your physical, emotional, spiritual needs today. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we are beloved children and that you are a father who cares for our needs, who sees things that others can't see. Give us the humility to come this week to you for daily bread for the rest of our lives. And I pray that the places that are hurting, that haven't been examined in a while, that your light would touch it and it would heal it. We thank you for all that you do for us. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen. It truly be who you've created us to be. Would you return the joy of our salvation to each of us as we confess to you our need of you, as we confess to you how we have left you, how we may have hardened our heart towards you, as we confess to the shallow activities and busyness of our lives where we've neglected the true bread of heaven. Oh, Lord, return that joy to us. It's only in this way that we can endure the hardship of this life. It's the only way that you yourself endured the cross. And so we remember. The scripture says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he met with his disciples and he took bread and he broke it. And when he had given thanks, he shared it with them and said, take, eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The scripture says that whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly. So I grew up with a very funny southern phrase in the United States uh, that went something like this. You blessed our socks off.
okay? Do you know that phrase? If you've ever done Origin Kids out in Acadia, we used to say our goal tonight is to bless their socks off, right? That those kids would lose their socks. Hey, I lost my socks. That was so good. You just blessed our heart. Yeah, tell her thank you. So good. I'm delighted in what the Lord has done among us today. Um, Let's give our blessing to each other today. Now, may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. See you next week.